This show's so good, I don't even want to waste your time with an intro. Just be sure to like and subscribe and vote for my channel sponsor, Cypherglass. Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. As you can tell, we're in a little bit of a different scenario this time. I am across the pond in London, visiting the guys at SVK Crypto, had an awesome time at their event. And Zach, of course, is back in the States. So that's why uh, it's nighttime here, it's daytime there, but we are still making this podcast happen. Every week we're doing it and we're not gonna miss one just cause I'm across the pond. But it's been an awesome event at SVK Crypto, I gotta say. A ton of people came out, saw me speak, saw a panel I was on, saw a lot of other great speakers, and it's been an awesome event so far. And I'm uh, here in Pittsburgh, as I always am, and I'm here in all of my Pittsburgh Pirate gear. Today is opening day of uh, baseball season, and coincidentally, nice. we are going to be swinging for the fences on this podcast <laughs> today. We have so much to talk about. EOS Mania is running wild, brothers. Just as a reminder, I will be at the EOS World Expo, and so will Peter K. Uh, you can find out about the expo at eosworldexpo.com. Uh, if you come, uh, message me on Telegram, we can meet up. And I think Rob has something he wanted to talk about, Pixios. Yeah, so the Pixios Hub has launched, and I gotta give a shout out to Fred from Pixios. I met him here at the SPK Crypto event. He was on a panel with me, we grabbed dinner. Uh, obviously, we've been working together for a while now, but it's totally different to meet somebody in person. So huge shout out to him. It was great to see you, Fred. But Pixios actually, while he was here, launched the Pixios Hub. So this is very cool. I love the aesthetic of it. You can check it out at hub.pixios.one. It's essentially the hub for all things Pixios. That means all of the stuff that's happened already, like the canvas, like some of the other stuff that's coming in the future. But it also shows in sort of the cityscape, which is very cool that you can kind of pan around. It shows all the stuff coming in the future. So obviously you have the merch shop now, but you have things like the NFT marketplace and the gallery and all the other stuff that's coming is in that Pixios hub. That's kind of the hub where you access all of it. And it's very cool to see that aesthetic. I think they did a great job. You can tell uh, they obviously have a lot of very talented artists on their team, but check it out, hub.pixios.one. And uh, let's move on to the next one. Next one we got, EOS Finex went live on the testnet today. I'll let you explain it because uh, I have some speculation towards the end of it. Yeah, so EOS Finex is a project we've been following for a while. It's from the people over at Bitfinex, which is one of the largest centralized exchanges in the world. And they came out last year and said, hey, we're going to build a decentralized exchange on EOS. And now that beta, after we've been waiting months and months and months, that beta is finally here and it's live. So you can actually try it out right now. So a few things I like about EOS Phoenix right off the bat. Um, I, I dug into the, they, they released several blog articles today because they're all like, one's like an FAQ, one's a tutorial. Um, so one of the things I liked was they tweeted out that said basically interested in listing your token, get in touch below. There's going to be zero listing fees. So any token will be able to get listed. I, I'm not sure of their approval process, but that that's uh, welcomed uh, because we know that other uh, exchanges like Binance, we always hear about the fees that they have. So this is great. A low barrier of entry for some of these um, smaller cap coins for uh, native EOS projects. The other interesting thing is th the fees on EOS Phoenix. So there's a 0% maker fee. And if you're not familiar, a maker is basically a liquidity provider. And then they have a 0.2% taker fee. So basically, if you're in a hurry to, to swap your coins, you pay a little bit of a fee. But if you're not in a hurry and you're just a liquidity provider, there's 0% fees. Um, but was what was wow. interesting, yeah. What was really interesting to me is that they actually have a rebate for the makers. So it's a small percent, but it, it's better than nothing. And it's 0.05% rebate. So that means if I post $1 worth of EOS on the order book and someone matches that, I will get 
what a, a nickelback or or no actually it might be a a fraction of a nickel because that would be five percent see we get like one one hundredth of a nickel but obviously on a larger order size that's where it comes in but this is an interesting play i mean you can effectively earn 0.05 percent more on that trade just by putting it on eos finex versus another exchange so i think that's very smart uh, from their perspective as a liquidity play, because obviously one of the biggest problems with any decentralized exchange that exists on the market today is that lack of liquidity, the lack of buy orders, the lack of sell orders that make up that liquidity just aren't the same on a decentralized exchange that you have on centralized. So the fact that they're doing this, the fact that they're pulling in some liquidity from Bitfinex, that centralized exchange, should make this a, a pretty liquid place to trade. And that, I think, is what excites me the most about it out of anything. Ooh, I, I got a lot to be excited about there, Rob. I'm just going to keep going. So the timing yeah, of all of it. this is perfect. For anyone who's been paying attention to Coinbase Pro lately, they just very recently, I don't have the percentage in front of me, but they added a maker fee, which means if you're a liquidity provider, you're still paying a fee. So if you're a wow. market maker, where, where are you going to want to uh, offer your liquidity on, on a, uh, a service that actually pays you and has great APIs, great, great tools, it's decentralized, or would you rather stick to, stick to Coinbase? Or, or maybe you could do both, but I, I think you're going to be leaning towards the, the one that, that's uh, giving you the most incentive to add that liquidity. Oh, um, definitely. So... I, I raised some of these questions uh, in the EOS Phoenix chat, so they may have been they may even be answered by the time uh, w this episode airs this weekend. But I had a question of where that two uh, the 0.2 percent taker fee goes, and I'm still waiting on an answer at the time of this recording. But I, I don't mind if it goes to the EOS Phoenix team because they they built the product. That's fine. But the problem with that is uh, they're going to be open sourcing their code. And what's to stop uh, someone else from forking it and using a lower fee? So that that's kind of right. Now let's get into the speculation here. <laughs> All right. So recently on Telegram, and thank you to the EOS writer for making it so easy to get these screenshots up on your screen as I'm talking about them. But Dan went on another uh, tear uh, last night on Telegram. So Justin from Infinity Block asked Dan if uh, he was planning to implement uh, an order book at the protocol level like Stellar. Dan's response was no need given smart contract powered order book, which is exactly what EOS Phoenix will be. It's a smart contract powered order book. It just happens to be on a side chain currently. And there's really, we don't know who the block producers are. It's a test net, so it doesn't really matter right now, but they haven't been very clear about who's running this side chain or sister chain or what the, this native resource token called EOX actually does. So they, they might clarify that soon, but I have my own opinions on this. Oh, see, I think we might be able to have a clue on you know, what is going to happen with that EOX token, especially if you look at ETHFINEX, which is a decentralized exchange built on Ethereum from the Bitfinex people as well. And I believe, I could be mistaken here, but I believe that a percentage of those maker and taker fees that exist on ETHFINEX were actually sent as dividends to those token holders. Mm -hmm. So it could be a way for people to earn some passive income and sort of own a stake in that EOSFINEX exchange. And I would be completely on board with that. So that would be one route that they can go, and they might. Um, it's all up in the air because I really don't know. So they could possibly take the pool of funds, give some of it to their internal development team, and then the rest gets distributed to um, some sort of token holders, maybe the EOX token holders. Uh, they haven't yeah. said yet. Um, so continuing on with Dan's conversation, or his little back and forth he had with Justin from Infinity Block, who will also be at the EOS World Expo, he asked, would be better having lots of UI for the same order book and a custom fee enforced by each UI. 
And Dan agreed. He said, yes. So that got my wheels spinning because this is an idea I, I've had for a very long time for the EOS mainnet is if there was a system-wide DEX, whether it be at protocol level or in a smart contract, um, all of the other exchanges, you could, you could have a business model where you basically acquire customers and have a fancy front end. You could offer all kinds of other services, but your order books are decentralized and you share them with, with everyone else who uses this either smart, con I guess, smart contract level order book. Um, and you could add your own additional fees to it, possibly. Um, the, the, how I got here, though, is I'm going to backtrack to July 4th, 2018 in the RAM trading channel. And we'll, we'll talk about some things that Dan said way back then. Um, so he was talking about the, the decks he was working on. And someone asked him, what kind of trading fees will it have or have you decided that yet? Talking about a, a system-wide DEX, like a BitShares 3.0, I guess. And Dan said it would be a 0.1% trading fee. And he said, I'm thinking B1 could release the code. You can all decide what to do with it. Um, wow. And, but he also said that the fees would go to staked token holders if the community likes the idea. I like the idea. So I, I yeah. think, so to tie this all together and, and make it seem like I'm not just blowing smoke here, uh, I'm gonna pull up on the screen the actual roadmap from the EOS Finex homepage. And it says March 2019 beta launch. That's what happened here. May 2019 EOS Finex exits beta phase. June 2019 open source. Wow. I think a lot of people, you know, a oh, yeah. lot of people forget that Bitfinex, along with many other people, were one of the initial investors in Block One, the actual company Block One. Mm -hmm. So Bitfinex and Dan, you know, they're likely talking. Maybe this is that decentralized exchange that he's been talking I, about. I, I, I think so, because after EOS Finex open sources it, if a decentralized group of people decide to uh, implement the smart contract and stake some resources to it to keep it running, whatever's required, put a multi-sig on it, who's responsible for that as far as regulation is concerned? It, it, it's kind of headless in a way. It, it's, it's almost like its own little DAO, and those trading fees can be directed to something like the Rex. Now, right. now, now imagine that. So imagine there's this exchange with fees that are better or at the worst, comparable to all other exchanges there are. But it's got full custody of your own tokens, massive amounts of liquidity, and all of the fees benefit the token holders of the EOS native token on the EOS main net. Would you not promote that exchange and use that exchange over all of the other ones? They, they even said they're going to be listing all of these tokens for zero fees. So yeah. what would your reason be? for using anything else. It's not security, it's not UI, because the UI on EOS Phoenix is amazing. I highly suggest you go check out their uh, beta right now. Um, so that's my question to you all, and June's coming. Uh, yeah, June is coming fast too. I gotta say, we're, we're coming up on 60 days away here, and uh, it's flying by. I think, you know, it, it's amazing how quickly this year has gone by and all of the stuff that we've seen already, but June is coming up, it's gonna be here before we know it. Mm -hmm. You, you want to hit on uh, what Dan said about the marketing before I g go down the wormhole again? 
Yeah, so a lot of people, you know, they they go on block one, they hop in Telegram, wherever it is, and they they have a lot of complaints, right? A lot of people in crypto love to complain, and they say, oh, block one, what are you doing with that four billion? You know, what are you doing with the billion? You know, all these different sort of you know questions that they have for block one, but it, a lot of it sort of centers around marketing. Hey, when are you gonna you know take some of that money and and push into marketing dollars? And I do need to mention that block one has done a lot of marketing with the EOS hackathon series and with a lot of other things, mm-hmm. but people are looking for more sort of that you know, Tron level of marketing uh, that that's actually legitimate and maybe not as, as shady as some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, but Dan had a really interesting quote that said, when the time comes, our marketing will be beyond anything seen in crypto. But before you can market, you need an onboard strategy that can convert users and a service that can retain them. And then he went on to say, June will be the biggest news since EOSIO announcement. So mm-hmm. with all of this in mind, with all these different variables, it seems like, you know, he's saying before we can market, we need that onboard strategy and we need to be able to retain them. And I think that might be part of what we see in June. Maybe that's a wallet, maybe it's something else, but some way to onboard users and then a way to retain them and keep them coming back for more. And then I, I don't have it in our notes, but he said something else about saving up all the news to, to release at once is how, yeah. how you get the mainstream attention. I don't know the exact words. 100%. All right. Yeah, it was something along those lines. So since our episode last week, hashtag B1June has become a thing and the teaser trailer was released. We're not going to play the teaser trailer because we're assuming you probably already saw it. And if you didn't, what we're about to talk about, you, you'll, you'll, you'll figure this out real quick. So a few weeks back, Dan was, when, when Dan was speaking in his emojis, he did the, the, I'll put it up on screen because I can't even describe it. So you used a, a globe and then a castle, and then a crane, and then an American flag, and then a calendar. And I am predicting, and I will give you the facts of why, that that stands for World Headquarters being built or building in Washington, D.C. in June. So where, where am I getting this idea from? Well, there's been enough hints, but I'll give you some of the major ones. So on the Block One website, they have a careers page just like every other big multi-billion dollar corporation or even a multi-thousand dollar corporation. They all have these career pages, right? You got to hire employees, especially when you expand to new offices. So in the past, all of the jobs have always been Blacksburg and Hong Kong, which is where Brendan and Dan work from. Um, Recently, though, there's been two jobs posted to Northern Virginia. Very vague, right? For an IT systems administrator and a project manager. And from the job descriptions, it sounds like there's already employees in place uh, working at this location or who will be working there soon. So, Rob, you're, you're from Virginia, right? Yeah. What, what, what's in Northern Virginia? I'll put a map up on the screen so people can, <laughs> can figure this out with me. What's in Northern Virginia, Rob? Help me out here. You know, obviously... So Washington, D.C. is kind of its own entity. It's not a state. It's, you know, the Washington District of Columbia. It's its own thing. But it is, you know, Northern Virginia. And a lot of companies, a lot of people, they either live in Northern Virginia. They, they maybe have an office in Northern Virginia. And then for different things, different events, they commute into Washington, D.C. So it would make sense. Maybe they're setting up a headquarters out there, um, mm-hmm. similar to what they have in Blacksburg and Hong Kong. And, and who knows? Maybe that'll be their new world headquarters right there, right outside of D.C. I'm predicting if it's Virginia and not DC, it's Alexandria, which is where a lot of like DC-based businesses are anyway. So that that's a fact. 
this isn't speculation. They have a Northern Virginia office, and you can only guess where it is based on everything else we've talked about and what we will talk about in this episode. So there's my prediction is there will be a new office from Block One in Washington, D.C. Um, so I have a lot more reasons. I think there's a lot going on in Washington. So you, you go back to um, that D.C. blockchain summit and the guy interviewing Bloomer uh, mentioned you guys are coming to Washington soon. So it was like an open secret since then. So blockchain has, I think, great implications for governments. Yep. And I know you're getting ready to come to Washington. Uh, Washington will be better to having you and your organization here. Let's freeze this right here. He said Washington will be better to having you and your organization here, which leads me to believe that Brendan Bloomer will be leaving Hong Kong to also come to Washington, D.C. to lead this new world headquarters. But what are some of the implications for governments of using blockchain? And can it be used? And why use blockchain for military affairs? Ah, great question. So one of the big opportunities, what I keep saying is that um, blockchains are going to turn governments more into development platforms. On Telegram recently, Simon Case from Eosphere asked Dan Larimer, is Block One looking to contract their services to governments to set up public and private hybrid chains based on EOS IO? And Dan's answer was yes. But once you take something like the US dollar and you put it on the blockchain, you allow the blockchain or the US dollar to be programmable itself, right? And it turns the currency into a development platform that people can integrate with. In the future, once jurisdiction and tax law is coded very much into the dollar itself, businesses can actually build their tech stacks on top of government-like fiat currencies, right? Um, and this is going to drastically change enterprise and how enterprise interfaces directly with the government opposed to through third-party enforcement arms or traditional banking systems or traditional legal systems. It allows governments to extend jurisdiction and automate regulation at a level that's never been happened before. Zach, what else do you have? Do you have anything left on Washington, D.C.? Oh, yeah. So let's just use another Dan quote since he gave us a million. Like Washington, D.C. is a very political location. I mean, it's the home of the politics. It's Washington, yeah, D.C. It's where the president lives. It's where the president yeah. lives. So Dan dropped a bomb in Telegram saying all of Trump's advisors know about Block One. Everyone in D.C. wants to talk with us. So wow. it makes sense to have an office there if you're going to be working with like, you know, government uh, departments or lobbyist groups, maybe. So th that's pretty obvious, right? It's a pretty obvious hint. I don't I don't think that's a stretch. Also, um, for anyone who doesn't follow U.S. politics, congratulations. But uh, I dug into <laughs> them uh, for this episode. Very recently, December 2018, Donald Trump hired his new chief of staff. He's a guy named Mick Mulvaney, and he is a Bitcoin bull, well-known cryptocurrency holder, and I will read a quote from him. This is Trump's chief of staff. Blockchain technology has the potential to revolutionize the financial services industry, the U.S. economy, and the delivery of government services, and I am proud to be involved with this initiative on the ground floor. This wow. is Trump's chief of staff. 
So it doesn't really relate to EOS yet, but it does blockchain. So I yeah. mean, the proximity, let's, let, let's keep going down uh, this little rabbit hole. I guess we'll keep going back to U.S. politics because I learned all of this through my research. I didn't just know it off the top of my head. Do you have you ever heard of the name Steve Bannon, Rob? Oh yeah, for uh, many different reasons actually. He was uh, involved with with Brock and Brendan with their um, I believe it was called IGE Internet Gaming Entertainment. They're basically digital gold farming and selling website that they ran a long time ago. And Steve Bannon helped them get, I think, $25 million in funding from Goldman Sachs and sell the company. And so he's been involved with these guys for a while and obviously was a, a part of Trump's administration for a moment there as well. So going back to IGE, the Brock Pierce connection here with Steve Bannon, who uh, I don't think we mentioned it yet, but he was the, the last campaign manager of the Trump campaign before he was elected. He was on his administration for a while before being let go in January 2018. But way, way, way before that, at that company, IGE, that, that uh, Rob was just mentioning, when Brock stepped on as CEO, Steve Bannon stepped up as CEO of that same company. Oh, wow. Um, okay, so let's go back. We're going to get back in that time machine, right? Let, let's hop yeah, back. Let's same, same month we were in for the last time machine we hopped in. We're going back to July 2018, maybe June. All right. During that time, Steve Bannon was all over um, like the news. They, they put out a bunch of press releases because he had this initiative he wanted to launch where he wanted to launch something called a deplorable coin. And I'm going to read you a few quotes from that time back in July 2018. So the first one's from Wired, and it involves Brock Pierce. Timothy Lewis, the chief innovation officer of Ikigai. Ikigai just got invested in by Anthony Pompliano. Anthony Pompliano had that, he, his $40 million fund that he invested into Ikigai with was raised through pension funds in the state of Virginia from, a, I think, a police union and somewhere else. Yeah. So there, there's more Virginia ties. Pomp's kind of involved because he's got a big voice. So we're talking about mainstream adoption, getting people to hear about what's going on. That, that's kind of where I think Pomp might fit in. He might be completely unaffiliated. But let me, let me get to some quotes. Timothy Lewis talking about a meeting he had with Steve Bannon in his home in Washington, D.C. Quote, I didn't know what to expect going in, but he had clearly done his homework, said Mr. Lewis, who is co-founder of Ikigai Hedge Fund. Um, he said he talked about the laws governing new cryptocurrencies and a few initial coin offerings that had recently raised money from investors. And he said, Mr. Bannon is particularly interested in the possibility that countries could create coins tied to national wealth. For example, an Italian coin tied to marble deposits in the country, for instance. Wow. Uh, another article. It, it says that bas basically Steve Bannon said, I'm not going to read it word for word, but he said if he wasn't on the Trump campaign in 2016, he would have been following Brock into this cryptocurrency bull run that like got unleashed then because he was interested in it then. He's interested in it now. He was just busy for a little bit. So basically there's this connection. So in, in July 2018, Steve Bannon's running around to the media saying he has these ideas for, for coming up with his own currencies and, and how... It's basically freedom because he's, he's saying that um, it's disruptive populism is what he said. It takes control back from central authorities. It's revolutionary. These are all Steve Bannon quotes. Another wow. quote. It was pretty obvious to me that unless you got somehow control over your currency, 
all of these political movements were going to be beholden to who controlled the currency. So it sounds like Steve Bannon knows what's up here. He, he knows yeah. about the centralization. He knows about the benefits here. He's also connected to Brock Pierce. He's connected in some way to, to Timothy Lewis, who is with Ikigai. And he's also uh, part of the Liberty Block block producer on the EOS main net. Um, so this is all Washington, D.C. connections. Now, now, here's where it gets even more interesting. I found the video on Fox News. And I'll, I'll pull up the screenshot here on, on the screen if you're on YouTube. And I'll just read the headline. Peter Thiel may fund... Steve Bannon's next venture. Wow. And right it's after all connected, man. It's all connected. Right We're after really good links here. Rob, do you remember what happened on July 16th or what at least was announced on July 16th? Who, who led the investment round in the block one? I, I can't remember. Uh, I think it was a, a guy by the name of Peter Thiel. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a pretty legendary VC investor. He was the first investor in Facebook, mm. still on the board there. And as uh, obviously was part of the PayPal mafia, that's sort of how he got his start in all this. But yeah, I don't know, just just one of the, the world's most renowned VCs, you know, Not, nothing big. One of the first investors in the Facebook, you know, just 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 some billionaire. So you're getting the connections oh, yeah. here. It, it, it all comes back. So we got the Peter Thiel connection, Brock Pierce, Timothy Lewis, block producer on EOS. Steve Bannon knows his shit. He lives in Washington, D.C. He's a lobbyist. He's, he's, he's part of a, a movement that's often censored. You, you see where I'm going here? Um, yeah. It makes perfect sense that there would be an office in Washington, D.C. with a team of project managers working with all of these lobbyist groups, working with uh, different departments of the government. I don't know if they're working with the government or in the groups that work within the government, the bureaucracy of the government. I, I don't know that much yet. I'm sure we'll, we'll find out in June. But yeah. I, I think there's something to this. And if I had to guess, it's imagine crowdfunding for a political campaign. I am predicting now, and I don't know if this is true, they're going to kick off the Trump campaign and they're going to do a lot of fundraising uh, with cryptocurrencies. I think they're going to kick off the campaign in June 2020 or in June 2019 as part of this big launch campaign. It's not the only news, but it's all bundled up together here. I, I think... Uh, they're going to announce some sort of way to fund uh, political initiatives via cryptocurrency because um, wow. even with the regulation, the utility of the token is it's like you're paying someone because you want them to, to do what they're saying. Like you're not expecting it to accrue in value or anything. It's a true utility token. And maybe it gives you some sort of voting rights or something. Maybe they have a referendum. Who knows? It's built on EOSIO. Anything could happen. So whether this is tied into block one's Washington, D.C. stuff or not, this is happening. It might be happening in parallel, completely separate. That's fine, but it's happening. I, I, I just don't know the affiliations to Block One, but it just makes way too much sense uh, right now. Yeah, I got to say, great work on this, for real, to, to put all these links together to go back to July 2018 and pull some some interesting nuggets out of the chat that even link it to today. Great job. I got I to gotta say, this is mm -hmm. awesome and very exciting. If they go out and actually do this, if the U.S. government actually gets involved in building on EOS IO tech in some way. I mean, this is going to be like next level. That's just so insane. And maybe that is why they're having this event in DC. I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. So I'll make some other predictions that I don't have as much like evidence to show, but I have a feeling uh, that they may know something we don't know about there being uh, a clarifying statement or something from the SEC that basically clears 
maybe just EOS of not being a security, but maybe a whole slew of tokens to not be securities because that would also wow. be a very big deal. And, and that's what's holding back a lot of mainstream adoption. I actually have another Dan quote. Dan said, quote, the legal framework for tokens and digital asset trading is the biggest challenge to mass adoption. So that would be huge news also. And that would be something separate from block one, but that block one, if they have inside knowledge, can capitalize uh, for all of this. Yeah. So, so Rob, are, are you uh, more excited for June than you were uh, before this call? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> but honestly, I, I'm more excited for the stuff that's coming before June because Dan said oh. there will be a number of releases up until June 1st. So let's jump back into Telegram. Let's uh, let's let's sort of dive into some of the stuff he said. So uh, Dan starts out, he says, clearing the backlog of lesser news prior to the main event in DC. So lesser news. So keep in mind, anything that comes out is sort of on a different scale of the, this grand, you know, biggest news since EOSIO launched last year. It, it, it's on another level. And he goes on to say, you know, in response to somebody saying, well, multi-threading and 20K transactions per second ever become a reality. And he's saying, we're already adding multi-thread to Node.OS and improving performance, which is true. It has already been implemented for signature validation. And I believe a couple of things that we've seen pretty significant performance improvements on chain. I can totally verify that. Um, Dan goes on to say, in response to someone who says, Dan, are we still talking about an Apple wallet? Code for Apple Wallet Ooh. will be open sourced. What? Oh yeah, that's one that I totally missed. But that, oh yeah, that's exciting. I mean, this makes sense because one of Dan's comments recently um, was they sort of took a different approach with their wallet. Rather than releasing one wallet and sort of killing all of the other wallet competition that you know the, the community essentially created and poured their blood, sweat, tears, and money into, instead they were going to release a solution that benefited all wallets. So maybe this is it. You can use your preferred UI. You use EOS Links or Token Pocket or Scatter or Nova mm -hmm. Wallet or Math Wallet, whichever one you want. But on the back end, you can securely store your keys in the secure enclave on your iPhone. So that that is exciting. And I like that that's lesser news here as well. Mm -hmm. He continues on. He says, wallet code will be released prior to June and goes on to say, our wallet has nothing to do with payments, which is how they sort of get around uh, Apple's requirements in a lot of ways. But this is exciting. I mean, if, if we see that wallet code released before June, that means June can't be a wallet announcement. I mean, no. that's the lesser be news. We've been talking this whole time about Oh, you know, maybe we'll see the wallet in June. It's going to be groundbreaking. It's going to be an onboarding solution. But now Dan is calling the wallet lesser news, which means I, I sort of have to go back to the drawing board and rethink what might actually come in June if the wallet is lesser news here and is coming before June. And this isn't speculation. I mean, these are Dan's words saying we, wallet we, code will be released. We only speculate on facts here lately, at least. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much going on in EOS. It's, it's, there's so much data, so much knowledge being poured out from Dan, Brent, and other members of the community. It's, there's a lot to go on. But So um, I, I think the reason this is happening, Rob, is because whatever's coming in June is going to need this secure enclave uh, Apple wallet code and probably Android code. It needs to be implemented before June 1st because that way everyone already has their wallets and they're ready to rock and roll with whatever this software is or announcements or whatever block one has for wow. us, it has to be ready to rock on June 1st. So we will have that secure enclave. My iPhone X is going to be just as secure as, as a ledger before June this 1st. This is like, <laughs> I, can't, I missed this ahead of time in, in, in the show notes here. So this is the first time that I'm reading these comments from Dan. <laughs> you can probably see on my face how excited I am. This is, this is insane. I really have to go back and, and start thinking now 
if that's the lesser news, if the wallet that they've been teasing for almost a year now that we've been waiting for for so long, if that wallet code is coming out ahead of June, who knows what they have in store for us in June? I mean, this is like, this is so exciting. I didn't think that I could be more excited for B1 June. Then you, you know, you pulled me in on the rabbit hole at the beginning <laughs> of this podcast. And now again, my excitement's at a new level. So this is just so awesome. I cannot wait to see what happens on June 1st. The quote you said was, Dan, and our wallet has nothing to do with payments. But he didn't say the like Apple code. The Apple open source code mm. could have to do with payments. The block one wallet might just be a digital signature. You could maybe, you know, sign documents with it. That's that's a big thing in asset management and the government chain of command of things, right. you know. It has everything to do with identity. It has nothing to do with payments because it, it depends on your use case. Because if you're if you're just trying to control a chain of com or a, a chain of custody of something, you can't lie and say it wasn't me that signed that 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 signature because it has your biometric ID on it from from your iPhone. So wow. the B1 wallet could be a, a digital signature tool that has nothing to do with payments. And if you want to do payments, maybe you need something else. I, I don't know. Wow, I can't wild. wait I mean to find out more. Oh, it's coming <laughs> just a little bit more than 60 days away. Here we go. All right, so we haven't even gotten into the block one. So we know that the wallet's wow. not the big release unless it's the B1 wallet that doesn't do payments. Let's get into right. MEOS here, social media oh, okay. on EOS.io. Yeah, so Dan goes on to say, you know, people are asking him questions about it. He says, we will not sell data to advertisers. We will not collect data like Facebook does. And somebody says, they say, Sid from with a, a June Moon in his uh, tagline on Telegram, which I love. He says, "Who will receive the advertisement revenue?" And Dan just simply says, "Waiting for it." What do you think of that? So I think that this is a public ledger. So I, I, there there might be some public and private aspects to it. I, I would hope so, at least. But if all the if if all of certain types of data are public, and or maybe it's optional, maybe you can turn it on and off with with your account then maybe all of that ad revenue gets redistributed to the users of the platform. Could you imagine if Facebook huh. did that? They're a multi-billion, many, many billions. I don't know, if, probably hundreds of billions. I don't even know their market cap right now. But they make it all in advertising money. Could you imagine yeah. if as a user you guys all shared that? Would you call that a UBI? It'd be a dividend for sure, right? Oh, wow. I mean, it makes a ton of sense, especially when the users are the ones that are adding that value to Facebook. They're the ones posting the content and, and you know, giving that platform for advertisers. So I, I want to lead into my next one because my next one's a big bomb that people ignored in the channel last night. I got a direct response Ooh, from here Dan. We go. I love it. Why don't you uh, remind everyone of that Larry Sanger uh, social media RSS feed type thing that he uh, wrote about a, a few weeks ago? Yeah, so Larry Sanger put out a post basically saying, hey, here are the five things that we need to do to decentralize social media. Larry Sanger, co-founder of Wikipedia, now works on the Everopedia team building that decentralized Wikipedia on EOS. But one of those was effectively an RSS feed for social so that you can have a data feed of any post that's happening on this decentralized network and plug it in anywhere you need. That was one of the five core pieces. So the other piece was allowing you to bring your your data with you. So you could be on this right. other social, this new social media, let's say a, a, a different Twitter. So you could bring your old Twitter history with you and then through some sort of browser plugin, it actually integrate with the old Twitter so that it, it's seamless and looks like it's one and the same. But you have to have a way to get your data out of these platforms. So I asked Dan in Telegram, I said, Dan, will we be able to import our existing social media data to bring our entire histories with us to 
our new social media home. For example, can I import all of my posts and pictures from Facebook after or at the time of me creating this new account on, I didn't say it, but I was referring to Mios. <laughs> Why don't you read his response for everyone and then I'll get into the weeds here. So he goes on and just replies to you and just says, does Facebook allow export? And I think a lot of us know the answer to that. The answer to that is yes, you can go on Facebook and export all of your data. And I believe that feature in many jurisdictions is actually required by law now. So it's not something that Facebook could go and just turn off if they see Block One using it to transition people over. It's something mm -hmm. that by law has to stay. Yeah. So Dan didn't say yes. He just gave his answer that we read and nobody really paid attention <laughs> to it. And I'm just like, my jaws on the floor because I was like, I can't wait to talk about this on the podcast because everyone's ignoring it. Yeah. So to validate my claims, because I've downloaded all my Facebook data before, I went back to my Facebook account and I did exactly what we're, we're saying you could do. I downloaded one and a half gigs of my own data in Ooh. JSON format, which would be Ooh. very easy to import into another system because it's all standardized data. Yeah. One of the biggest reasons people don't leave Facebook is because they have their history there. They have all of their pictures there, especially. That is my number one concern of the reason I will not delete my Facebook account because I have pictures going back to 2004, 2005 on there. Hmm. So, and all of my, my posts, my, if, I, if I did anything on there, it's all there and I, I wanna take it with me. So Dan basically verified. He didn't say yes, but he didn't say no and his answer tells me yes. We will be able to import our social media histories from any social media platform that allows you to export it. And Facebook is one of them. That's huge. I mean, can you imagine then? I don't even have words for this. I don't even have anything to add. My, my mind is just like over and over and over again with this. <laughs> what I do. Today. This is it's so exciting. Well done. All right. So would you say this is all fact like none of this is actually like truly conspiracy or speculation i think most of what i've said so far has been based on facts oh yeah and i mean if you're listening at home you can verify this you can verify that steve bannon and brock and brendan and everybody work together you can verify the facebook data export just log in and export or google facebook data export you can see that all of this stuff is real what zach is so good at is taking all of these factual data points and tying them all together and building this narrative and and showing you all how this may affect block one in June and beyond. Yeah, n n everyone's lucky they have me, man, because you don't, you don't want to be in my head. These wormholes go 100%. deep. <laughs> but like, like I said, man, today we are swinging for the fences because yep. it is a sunny day outside and it's going to be the brightest day on earth on June 1st. But let's continue. Ooh, it's coming. Uh, so and this is an old message from Telegram again. Someone yep. asked him, Facebook coin is coming soon, and that means many of those users will come to EOS. Is that true? And I'm not even 100% if Dan was referring to this, but he could have. So this is a little speculative on my part, but he posted the B emoji, the one emoji, and then a winky face. So mm. what would happen? So we know Facebook is building up their blockchain team. We've heard of this Facebook coin. And it doesn't matter if like, we think a stable coin's stupid or, or it's going to fail. The fact of the matter is that Facebook needs to move to a blockchain sooner or later because otherwise they will be negligent if these other blockchain-based secure 
platforms come out and they're not using this technology, they, they will be in deep shit for negligence because they're, they're open to all of these data breaches that we've seen year after year. They're, they're being negligent if they're not moving to a blockchain technology. So the one thing we know that, that's more certain than not is the, the Facebook coin. What if the Facebook coin was an EOS IO, not even on the main net? What if it's just its own chain, but, but they're using the EOS IO technology? And this is a little speculation here. But if they were to do so, that would onboard so that would onboard so many new users to learning how to use like a, a, a wallet and this Apple uh, Face ID, all of this technology we've talked about. It, it, it could be done uh, by, by Facebook on a side or sister chain or whatever it would even be, a fork. They might be digging their own ditch uh, because Block One's launching Mios in parallel, but who, who knows? Uh, Peter Thiel, yeah. it, it's, un, it's, it's a fact that Peter Thiel has Facebook connections here. Like, no doubt about it. He was one of the first investors in Facebook. So he might be telling oh, them this is a great idea, even though uh, he's, he's working for the other team, too. Right. And he is still on the board at Facebook. So I believe he still has a board seat as of today, as of the time of the announcement, when he was coming in and funding block one, he had a board seat. So I assume that's still the case today. So we, we, we talk a lot about how like Steam 2.0 and like a UBI and, and all of these grand uh, visions, how none of it's possible without a provable, unique identity. And we, we kind of have an idea that the solution is having a biometric ID. Well, when I downloaded uh, my Facebook archive, okay, hold on, let me mm. let me actually, it's not pulled up. Uh, yeah, pull it up. When I when I I was digging through my my zip file that that my one and a half gigabyte trove <laughs> of my own personal data that Facebook already has. Yep. And in one of the folders, the about me folder, it was called. There was a little JSON file called face underscore recognition dot json and inside it was some hash and i oh, looked God, all scary. over the internet and i have no clue uh what it is no one's decrypted it or knows what it means but that I mean, could be used as a private key and it could verify oh, that that you own the facebook data that you're claiming for mios so if i'm importing my facebook data into mios I could still I could download Rob's data and say I'm Rob. The way to verify that I'm not Rob is by that face ID. If it matches the face recognition that Facebook already has on someone, then that 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 could link them up also. Wow, that's I assume that that unique hash corresponds to like your unique face and their database yep. of faces. You know, when you upload a photo to Facebook, and I assume it still does. This I've been on Facebook in several years, but where it yep. says, "Oh, is this person this?" and you say yes, and it automatically tags them. Yeah. So, so that's a little speculative on my part, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. Facebook has like hun hundreds or thousands of pictures of most people. It knows your face. It, it, it like suggests to tag you. It lets you know when other people post a picture of you, even if they didn't tag you. So they have this. Um, and, and it's scary. Like, why do they have this on their database that I'm able to download it from? Wouldn't it be better if you, you own that? And that, yeah. that's what we're trying to get to. I don't, I don't know Facebook's role in block one, but... Uh, that, that's all speculation as far as the Facebook, besides being able to import your data into Mios. So I think the, fact, the facts here of this speculation is you will be able to import all of your social media data into Mios. That's a fact. Everything else I said about Facebook is speculation, but it, it, it's, it could happen. Uh, the, the 
comment I want to highlight from Dan also is another response to you, Zach. You had come up and you said some of the surprises, you know, that we're going to see in June are obvious for people following closely enough. I'm looking forward to the double top secret surprises that I have zero awareness of. Mm -hmm. And Dan responds to you and he says, there are a few. So, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like mind blown after mind blown after mind blown. A few top secret surprises that nobody has any knowledge of coming in June as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I, I really appreciated Dan like directly responding to me because at this point he's probably like, damn, this guy's figuring out all of my clues that I've been leaving. And then <laughs> I tell everyone about it. But I, I think he appreciates it because I, I definitely do my due diligence and I'm glad he's yeah. keeping a few surprises even for people like me. Um, but he even said, I enjoy leaving hints, messages that are only obvious in hindsight. And... Whenever I first saw him say that, that's what made me dig really deep. That's what made me go all the way back to July 2018 to put ah. all of these pieces together. Because Dan, his, his, if you follow like Stan Larmer, Dan's father, he's the same way. He like kind of writes this science fiction that gives all these clues. I think it's like a Larimer thing that they want to leave a trail of clues for everything that they're doing. Huh. That's awesome. I, I think, you know, we've gone through so much. We've gone deep down the rabbit hole. We've gone into conspiracy mode. But based up, or, or excuse me, based on factual data that you can all verify yourself. Thank you all so much for joining us. I will be back in the U.S. for next week's episode. But we have some awesome SPK crypto exclusive content coming for you. They're one of the ESBC funds. But thanks for joining us on this episode, Zach. Uh, you ready to wrap up? Yeah, I think this is a good spot to wrap up. Everyone, please let us know what you thought of all of this in the comments below. I'm dying to hear what you think of my speculation. Let me know in Twitter. Let me know in our Telegram channel. Let me know in the comments below. I really want to hear what you think. I will see you all next week right here on Everything EOS. So once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this This is is Everything EOS. Go EOS! Everything EOS.